1: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 158. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great show for you folks this week, but first, a little Drabble news. Check this. Special thanks to Groom Porter for posting this in our discussion forums. From Gizmodo.com. Last week, a New York Modern Museum of Art curator was forced to pull the plug on an art installation called "Victimless Leather." Penis. It's a penis rat. Black and white photographs of the male penis. My tax dollars probably paying for every one of them. The public patronage of profane pornographic pictures of people's prominently perpendicular-pointing penises. Somebody get me a page boy. I'm writing the governor. Oh, hey now, backwater, hold your houses. Victimless leathers, not just some naughty, X-rated, profound and inspirational, hot, sexy, galvanizing and defiant, dirty and erotic, evocative and groundbreaking, Profane and perverted. Raw and liberating. Mambi, pamby artsy, fartsy. Radical and visionary. Smutty piece of pretentious garbage. Deep countercultural manifesto. Godless communist propaganda. First Amendment right to freedom of speech. Sandful hippies. Inbred creationists. Northern aggressors. Dumb redneck pieces of. N- Northern aggressor? Did you just. You did not just go there. I'm gonna whoop your ass. Bring it on! Oh <laughs> All right, all right, everybody settle down. Victimless leather is not some collection of body BDSM photos of the male penis, okay? Whew, it's a miniature jacket, living and made up of embryonic stem cells from a rat, seated together in a specially designed techno-scientific perfusion system on artistic display and continuously fed through a series of plastic nutrient tubes, uh, ex- explicit, Sleazy, um, <clears throat> stirring and transcendent, wild and homoerotic, um, chromatically futurambulatorismic, and also transmagnetorically um, bilical, Louvre, Van Gogh, um, emancipatorian, nihilistic clem in its very essence man i'm telling you the nouns and adjectives never end miniature living growing rat stem cell jacket shaped modern art installation yeah i mean at some point you just get tired of talking And that's what happened to curator Paolo Antonelli, when after five weeks, the art piece grew too large for its containment flask and had to be euthanized. yes, it was growing far faster than we expected, says Antonelli, who authorized the hurried decision to cut the coat off from nutrition last week. The containment cell could no longer hold it, and the installation became an immediate concern for the museum. The Jacket's artists, or scientists, designers, whatever, Oren Katz and Ionat Zur were out of the country, and the curator was forced to make an executive decision. A decision which, quote, still haunts him, Antonelli says, going on to say, Yes, I've always been pro choice, and all of a sudden here I am,
2: not sleeping at night because I killed a (laughs) coat.
1: Yes. That awkward silence representing the authentic awkward silence that followed Mr. Antonelli's authentic, he really did say that, statement. Instantly, the MoMA curator was attacked by constituents from the right, the obvious pro-gnome community. Mr. Antonelli, by killing this exhibit you leave scores of extraordinarily tiny people secretly coexisting under mushrooms and behind the walls of mankind, cold and shivering. How do you justify killing this jacket, sir? How do you sleep at night? And, of course, the pro-jacket voice from the left. Listen, the reality is that jackets and coats do a lot for this community and they have been for a long time. People need to take a step back here and remind themselves what if, what if <laughs> what if this jacket that I'm wearing right now what if this jacket were alive like that one was? What's it going to do when it gets cold? Ain't gonna find no jacket, jacket people? You know people People don't want to worry about issues like this. They be standing in line at Old Navy during winter clearance being like, these are all 50% off, and they made of polyester, not stem cells. And besides, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? The issue has prompted response from the most tree-hugging of artsy-fartsy northern aggressors, the most liberal of which recently sponsored, wrote, and produced a new successful Broadway play about the exhibit now sweeping the nation Excuse me, I couldn't help noticing that strange and interesting jacket in the window. What is it? It's a postmodern threnody on the death of innocence. Why, I've never seen anything like it. No one has. Well, where did you get it? Well, you know how embryonic stem cells are pluripotent and have the capacity to self renew themselves indefinitely? Da-do. Well, I was walking through the men's apparel section at JCPenney one day. Shop, And they ran into two organic biodynamics engineers. Sciency dudes They were talking about how more things in the world should be made out of embryonic stem cells Totally true Dishwasher detergent, hair gel, low calorie salad dressing Alternative fossil fuel They could start making jackets for all the little people living in the walls And under mushrooms Now when the jackets get too big and become sentient, they'll get cold and you can sell them more jackets I'll take two It's a product that creates its own consumer demand. They could never go wrong. And if it does, we could always Pass it off as modern art And here it is now, in our museum, a quivering, membranous, wrinkle-free, dry-clean-only miniature jacket made entirely of embryonic stem cells. Let it speak to your soul. Well, I'm going to notify the papers right away. Sudden changes surround me. Lady Luck came and found me. My sweet little jacket connected to nutrient tubes. Thanks to you, my sweet parka Admission price has been marked up I'm moving up in the MoMA and when I'm the owner I remember I owe it to you Aw oh, Jacket, who cares if I've been a little on the anemic side these past few weeks? So what if I've had a few dizzy spells, some lightheadedness? It's been worth it, old pal. Look, I'm going to go down to Smendrick and get something to eat, okay? Feed me, Paolo. Beg your pardon? Feed me. You, You can talk. I'm
2: starving, Paolo. Feed me.
1: Uh, Look, Jacket, I don't have much blood left to give. Give me a few more days to heal and then we'll try the other hand, okay? Feed me now, Paolo. Uh, Okay, look, Jacket, I'll run down to the deli and pick you up some nice chopped sirloin. Must be blood. Jacket, that's disgusting. Must be
2: fresh.
1: I don't want to hear this. Feed me. Does it have to be human? Feed me. Does it have to be mine? Feed me. Where am I supposed to get it? Feed
2: me, Paolo. Freed me all night long.
1: That's right, boy! You can do it! But, but, but wait a second, Jacket. Where am I supposed to find someone? I can't just put up an ad on Craigslist. Wanted, volunteer human sacrifice. Oh, it's easy, Paolo. You're in an art gallery. Just look around you. Remember, there's
3: an inherent beauty in soup cans that Michelangelo could not have imagined existed.
2: The guy sure looks like cold food to me, the guy sure looks like cold food to me, the guy sure looks like cold food to me. Now go and get him. When I was younger, just an awkward little kid, my mama noticed silly things that I did. I painted nipples on my younger brother's knees, filled up the bathtub with Vaseline and blue cheese. I'd swallow goldfish and defecate in the shed. That's when my mama said, What did she say? She said, my boy, I think someday you'll find a way to make your natural tendencies pay. You'll be an artist. artist. You have a talent for senseless dementia. Son, be be an artist. People will pay you to paint on placentas. Your temperament's wrong for the priesthood. The Marines would never let you wear that dress. Son, be an artist. You'll be a
1: success. Little shirt, little shirt of stem cells, pop shit, bop. Gonna be our death nails. modern part. Don't mess with biochemicals, no. Oh, oh, no, no. Little shirt, little shirt of stem cells. It's a good show, you ought to check it out. So, anyways, it's travel time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at We're, uh, doing something a little different this week. Here goes.
3: Dear Occupant, by Scattercat, read by Marshall Latham, first posted in the Drabblecast forums on February 26th, 2010. Dear Occupant, we regret to inform you this house has been selected for the 2006 Murder-Suicide Haunting. As the owner resident, there are several steps you should take. 1. A reliable local laundromat. Blood stains are stubborn, especially when washed with more blood. 2. Food storage issues. Items left in the house for longer than two hours will be filled with writhing maggots. 3. Child Safety. If you are a parent, use caution when approaching any child staring fixedly at an unusual object, particularly televisions or radios broadcasting static. Further details are in the accompanying pamphlet, Multivital Households and You. Please read thoroughly. The music for this Drabble was provided by Microscopia. More selections can be found at freesound.org. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast. Find it at drabblecast.org. You are listening to The Dribblecast, which features stories featured by listeners of The Drabblecast. Find out more and participate in both at The Drabblecast forums.
1: Whoa, what the crap was that, you ask? That was Dribblecast fan Marshall Latham reading a story by Dribblecast fan Nathan Lee in our new fan-launched, fan-run, fan-content, fan-cast. The Dribblecast, where Dribblecast fans read what Dribblecast fans write. It's a cool idea, and it's open to anybody who wants to participate. Get in on it, subscribe, and find out more info at dribblecast.posterous.com, which you'll find in our show notes or at the Dribblecast forums. So our feature story this week is called Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions, and it comes to us from Saladin Ahmed. Saladin was born in Detroit. His fictions appeared in Intergalactic Medicine Show, Clockwork Phoenix 2, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. His poems have appeared in over a dozen journals and anthologies, including, most recently, Callaloo and Inclined to Speak, an anthology of contemporary Arab-American poetry. He currently lives in Brooklyn. For more info about him and his work, see his website, saladinahmed.com, which you'll find linked in our show notes. So without further ado, Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions by Saladin Ahmed. So here I am again, sitting at a 12-person steel table, going through the motions. The Society of Supercriminals' new headquarters is impressive, but not comfortable. You'd think that Overlord, with his ill gotten dictator industrialist billions, could afford some padding for these damn chairs. But as my Tio Cesar would say, assholes never shit flowers. We've been at the table a long time. Overlord assigning minor miscreantish jobs to the society's members. He's clearly building to some criminal crescendo, and I wish he'd just get to it. I squirm audibly in my seat, and I can practically hear him frown behind that grotesque silver mask. There's a long standing, if covert, debate among my associates as to whether the big O wears the mask because he's horribly scarred, or whether he just has a kink for such things. Either way, over the course of a meeting, dude's heavy breathing goes from annoying to gut-deep creepy. My attention is drifting. I force myself to focus on our self-appointed leader's metal-echoed words. On other fronts, there is a new so-called hero that has been disrupting the profitable activities of one of the larger illicit organizations that pay us tribute. Dr. Diablo,
2: this assignment will fall to you. The foolish do-gooder calls
1: himself Steel Fist. (laughs) His powers include a great proficiency with all forms of martial arts, and... Let me guess, he's white, right? I interrupt, tired of the rambling. Overlord always goes on like this when all he really has to do is slap down a dosher with this guy needs his ass handed to him stamped on the cover. I'm just cutting to the chase. Behind that mask, bloodshot eyes register confusion, then irritation with my question. Around me, I hear mumbles and shifting chairs. The society of supercriminals hates it when I bring up race. <clears throat> how could the ethnicity of this self righteous fool possibly matter to I'm just saying, I interrupt, gauging carefully how far I can push my smart allegory. Overlord has a tendency to vaporize guys who disagree with him in meetings. I'm just saying, you don't need to go through all this. I can guess his goddamn origin. Disaffected rich kid, fled America and trained with mystical eastern warriors, soon became the best. One year at ninja camp is always enough time for a gringo to get better than any native. He defeated the jealous eastern ex-best warrior, screwed the prettiest eastern girl, earned the respect of her dad, some old guy with a white mustache who's been waiting all his life for a white boy to come to his school, came home and decided to fight crime. Am I right? For the first time in a half dozen of these meetings, Overlord looks at me with something like real respect. Impressive intelligence gathering Diablo, your sources are... It was a guess. Anyways, yeah, he sounds about my speed. I'll handle him. Taking out a new minor league hero. Chump work. But it could be worse. Overlord doled out a goddamn bank robber to Jaguara, an insult to homegirl's skills, but better her than me. Very well, says the madman in the silver mask. Our last task falls to Plan Hatcher. Plan Hatcher, the world's greatest schemer, stands up. His costume always struck me as preposterous. The monocle, the image on his chest that looks like Rube Goldberg got drunk and drew on his shirt. Still, he's one of the few folks in the society that I can stand. One of the few that ever talks about anything other than taking over the world or putting this or that nemesis in a death trap. Early on, I tried to make buddies with Black Thunder on the brown-black solidarity tip, going through the motions, but dude's too obsessed with his arch-enemy Weatherlord, who's been beating his ass since the 70s. Now I know living under the white man's thumb can screw with your head, but shit got depressing. Cheering on a pathetically pumped Black Thunder when he aced Weatherlord's little green-skinned sidekick. Like I said, depressing. Plan Hatcher strokes his goatee and says, My task is to free the inmates of Centropolis Prison. Beside me, a blue-skinned fist the size of a Thanksgiving turkey pounds the steel table enthusiastically, leaving a dent. Measure love jailbreaks, booms the biggest supercriminal present. Planhatcher Hatcher sniffs, his disdain evident to everyone except Masher, which is probably for the best. I'm speaking of more than a jailbreak, my friends. This is something much, much more thorough. Mr. Munitions, who was half asleep a second ago, suddenly lights up at this. We're gonna blow up Central Prison? The look of disappointment on Plan Hatcher's face is profound. This is not about destroying the physical prison, either. My plan is to destroy the need for the prison. Now, most of those imprisoned in Centropolis are non-violent drug offenders, useless to us as henchmen. But what if... Plan Hatcher spins his word web. His scheme involves super-powered inmates, corrupt officials, and a shadily acquired prison construction company. The details are sort of lost on me. Especially when he starts jotting down some sort of equation on a napkin. Despite calling myself Dr. Diablo, I only have a bachelor's degree. It's more than most kids from the barrio manage, but it wasn't enough to keep me out of trouble. Anyway, the man with the monocle goes on about stealing mood shifters, a motion ray. Then there's something about a remote-controlled clone of the governor. The guy's nuts, straight up and down, but then I go to work in a flame-painted bodysuit. As the implications of Plan Hatcher's scheme become clear to me, I have to admit that he might be nuts, but he's also a genius. Prisoners painlessly reformed and reintegrated into society. Their former victims granted a sense of deep healing that the courts could never provide. The best part is, the results will inevitably draw attention and encourage similar efforts elsewhere. My god. This is the seed of something truly amazing, and for once I'm happy to have shown up for society meeting. My cousin Carlos, a good kid who's caught a whole lot of shitty breaks, is in Centropolis Prison, rotting away and reduced to an animal's existence for making essentially the same stupid decisions every frat boy on campus made back in college. This plan would give him another, better to say, a first, chance at life. I can't help gushing. Plan Hatcher, this is... This is freaking brilliant. Overlord, on the other hand, is clearly impatient and irritated. An intriguingly baroque scheme, Plan Hatcher. Still, this and the other tasks I have assigned you are merely distractions. For now, we come to my own part. <laughs> Those bloodshot eyes are smiling while the legion of justice is dealing with the baffling distractions the rest of you provide i will be using my skill with robotics to reprogram the legion's most faithful servant those crusading buffoons think he's at armor headquarters for his annual maintenance but behold Overlord gestures with a mailed hand at the wall behind him. The wall slides up to reveal a man-shaped robot writhing in manacles and berating us supercriminals in a posh English accent. Arthur, the android butler. The idiot kidnapped Arthur. For an evil genius, Overlord is a moron. As the rest of the society cackles in a great, forethoughtless gloat, Plan Hatcher and I exchange worried looks. Inevitably, Captain Patriot, or Ultiman, or whoever's in charge of the Legion of Justice this year is going to stage a rescue, which means we won't get time to implement Plan Hatcher's distraction. A thousand hapless Cholos like my cousin, whom we could have helped, will get chewed up even further by the system. As if on cue, a thunderous rumbling shakes the building, then another, the sound of our impenetrable fortress wall being broken open. The legion is here.
2: But, but, that's impossible! Shouts
1: Overlord. What a jackass. A voice like a lightning strike echoes from a nearby room.
2: Think ye to hide, cowering villains? Verily my axe doth rend these walls as though steel were made of paper. Fear not, friend Arthur, for the Legion of Justice hath come to free
1: thee. A knot forms in my stomach. I turn to Plan Hatcher. Ugh, they brought the Berserker with them. I thought he was trapped in the Middle Ages. Plan Hatcher shrugs and rolls up the tube of blueprint paper he just spread on the table. I sigh and think of Carlos. Chances are pretty good I'll be joining him soon. The Legion wants a fight, so I charge up my infernal internal dynamo, watching the orange glow begin to shimmer off of my arms. Every time I do it, I think about falling into that volcano and waking up changed. It's a hell of a thing being a changed man in the same old world. Plan Hatcher pulls something small and gun-shaped from his belt and turns a dial on it. I see the prison rehab plan die in his eyes. Beside me, Masher picks up the great steel meeting table like a club. We didn't make this world, but we survive it by going through the motions. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Good to see that even supervillains get burnt out every now and then. It's a hell of a thing being a changed man in the same old world. What a great line. Nothing extraordinary lasts too long amongst the ordinary, huh? Unless it gets preserved in amber and reborn by power-hungry entrepreneurs. Great episode artwork for this story, too. Special thanks to bacon-obsessed Wunder artist Skeet Seinske for that one. Skeet says that the secret to making good art is to only use bacon-based paints. Apparently, they're hard to find in retail stores these days, though, because Skeet smells them out and sucks them down with his long, coiled-up bacon proboscis tongue. Check out his art at skeetland-art.com. Let's do some episode feedback. We'll catch up with two. The first, episode 153, What Fluffy Knew, by Christine Catherine Rush. The story about a pampered kitty who discovers the world's being invaded by tiny aliens. Most people seem to enjoy this one. Andy d 273 said, This has been one of my favorites in a while, especially the part at the end. I could just picture these super-advanced but tiny space invaders running into a room full of cats. Priceless. Poppy Dragon offered some contrast, saying, Not one of my favorites. Lots of fun ideas, but as a whole just didn't keep my attention. That said, as the owner of two cats, I'm now keeping my eyes open for large tick-type creatures in their ears, just in case. The next week, we ran a story by Sarah Genge called "Family Values," which was kind of like a Jane Austeny Pride and Prejudice set on a planet of weird jellyfish-type aliens. Moon Owl said, "What I like best about this story is the political maneuvering. Instead of motherhood being seen as a negative, career-damaging move, it's seen as a display of her prowess. Very interesting." And Dreamrock said, "The main story is really great in the sense that the society depicts is truly other." It's a matriarchy where the young are assumed to be conservative by default and the young are important and respected, but it still has the human qualities which allow us to relate to it. Sex, love, and power are still huge motivators. Money, or in this case, energy, still is a determining factor on how soon you have children for some of the population. It holds an intriguing mirror up to our own society. Dreamrock also offered some criticism, saying, sadly, I had trouble relating to the characters. It's not that they're insufficiently human, it's actually that they're too much like Earth politicians, who I have no sympathy for whatsoever, and I didn't find the protagonist to be a sufficiently better option than a rival to care which one won. We like hearing your feedback. Join the forums and tell us what you thought about this week's story. If you really liked it, you could even chuck us a donation via the online support options from our webpage. That's drabblecast.org. Helps us pay our authors for their work. It'd be awesomely appreciated. Speaking of which, our kick-ass donor this week is Sue Camerata. Sue just wanted a short one, just that she's a pulmonary critical care doctor working now in research, looking for new antibiotics for serious hospital infections. So just a plug for good hygiene. So get your finger out of your nose, Dell de Hart. <laughs> Sue wanted to give a shout out to Dell, a listener supporter we profiled a while back who was actually one of her old medical school classmates. Now she knows that she's not the only physician who likes weird stuff like Drabblecast, and both of them have some good blackmail material on each other. Hey, don't be ashamed. Celebrate the strange. In fact,
4: there's just such an opportunity coming up. Imagine a giant circus that runs around the clock and features ring after ring of attractions for fans of science fiction, art, science, and new media. Wouldn't you want to run away to that circus? Now you can, because this very show, which goes by the name of Balticon, is coming to Marriott's Hunt Valley Inn, just north of Baltimore, on Memorial Day weekend. From May 22nd to 25th, you can join over a 1,000 other fans in a huge celebration. Charles Strauss, one of science fiction's hottest writers, will be there. As will Kurt Miller, whose covers have graced many science fiction novels, and renowned singer Mary Crowell, and you can spend time with all of them. Love art? Go to the art show and view work by some of science fiction's masters, and if you fall for a piece, you can buy it! Interested in film or anime? Rooms with both are always available. Care to play a game? From tabletop games to live-action role-playing, gamers are ready for you to join in. Like to dress up? Join one of the best and largest costume contests on the East Coast. Want to laugh? attend the special spoken word and comedy performance. Interested in new media? Balticon features the longest-running, best, and largest new media track available anywhere, with some of the most famous names in podcasting and webcomics. This year, attending a special guest of honor, is New York Times best-selling author Scott Sigler, the first author to release a novel in podcast-only form. Come meet him. For more information, drop by our website, www.balticon.org. Or listen to our podcast at www.balticonpodcast.org. Join us May 22nd to the 25th. Balticon, you're never too old to run away and join the circus.
1: That's Memorial Day weekend. I'll be there. I'm performing, maybe doing a reading. Got to design some kick-ass panels you won't want to miss if you can make it. Some boring stuff about copyright regulation and new media business models and what have you. But also, Lovecraft Mythos Cage Fight, Dagon vs. Cthulhu. Talk amongst yourselves. And how to write a kick-ass song about anything. Bring your frickin' instrument. And I even hear that Drabblecast's chief cryptozoologist will be doing a class called Cryptozoology 101, a survey of animals that probably don't exist. Gonna be good times. I hope some listeners can make it out to hang. Check out the details, get your planning did, and go such forth at Balticon.org. Next and final order of business, our 100-character TwitFix story winner this week. Congrats to Shawnee. And here it is. my first magic eye picture at long last i've got it but i've stared too hard and too deep i see it coming god help us all oh those old ones always showing up unannounced to ruin your life and tear apart the fabric of your world But hey, you married her, and you kind of knew what you were getting into when you first met her parents, so you can't really complain when the in-laws drop by. So that's our show. It's produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it or sell it, but feel free to copy, burn, and share it all you like. Tell your friends about us. Share the strange. Write us a review on iTunes, or wherever you subscribe to our feed. Spay and neuter your pets. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you to feed the jacket.
3: We live
2: in the walls and nobody knows it. We live under mushrooms, nobody cares. We're cold in the winter when the frost and the snow hits. Cause they don't make jackets. In sizes we Shaped like hoodies and jackets Keep me warm in the night Suddenly stem cells Are holding me tightly A little too tightly My God, it won't let me it's go It's robbing and pulsing I'd like to get free now Clawing and screaming, it won't let me go Violently thrashing, I trip over my sneakers Hit my head on a bookshelf, Sweet, sweet myself all down But suddenly some